We're in Colossians 3, um, and we're going to talk about relationships and yielding and what that means. Um, so I'm going to read it kind of like we did last time. We're going to start in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. We're just going to do a chunk, so we'll do 15, 16, and 17. Let's listen to God's word. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. In, wisdom, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, today we're, we're centering on relationships, and especially relationships with those who we spend the most time with. And is this good? Do I need to move it? Do I need to move the mic? Are you more centered? Okay. Is that better? Good as we might get. Okay. Um, and the Bible has a lot to say about our relationships, not just in this passage, but in Scripture altogether. Um, the, our relationships and how we treat people, that really shows who we are at our core. We can say all of these kinds of things, but really how we relate to one another um, is very exposing of who we are. And the Lord has placed each of you in specific relationships. Um, and our job in those relationships is to reflect who Christ is to those people. Um, and that gives great purpose to all of our relationships. Um, because we get to reflect what Jesus is like. And that looks like self-denial and not self-fulfillment. It looks like a yielding. And I'm going to use yielding and submit, submitting pretty interchangeably. Um, but, and I'll, I'll, exp I'll give a definition in a minute. But um, looking like Christ in these relationships looks like submitting and yielding and not trying to get things. It's, it's looking for what we can give in relationships. Um, this passage talks a lot about submission or yielding, but it actually, in this passage, only uses it one time, and it's, and it's when it's talking about wives. But the whole passage, that is really what the whole passage is about, this loving submission. Um, so why are we talking about that? Why is that important? Um, and what is it? Submission is a yielding by one to another. And it is important because we have a Savior who yields and we follow a yielding savior. He submitted first to his earthly parents, to Mary and Joseph. Well, he first submitted to his father, then he submitted to um, his earthly parents. And he submitted um, as a part of the Trinity. They were equal in power and glory, but he submitted to his father. Um, and as you follow Christ today, you are also called to yield and to be submissive. We are called um, also to submit to God. And as we will see in this, these verses, we are, um, called by God's good design to submit in some of our closest relationships. And this was also a jam-packed chapter, and I realized I had a really hard time with submission. The more I read and read and studied, it was so hard for me, and I thought, I don't know that Anna knew what she was doing, but I know that God did um, when she <laughs> selected these passages for me. I think it was for me to sit and to study and to realize, yeah, you do have a problem with some of that. I needed to work a lot of that out in my heart, and the Lord graciously showed me um, that there is forgiveness for that and also the hardness of my heart, that I don't want to yield, and I often don't want to submit. And I don't think that I have to tell you that it's not our natural tendency. I bet you feel it too. Um, we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like when someone else comes into our life and speaks into it. Um, 
especially if we don't agree with them, especially if we don't maybe respect them. We like to be independent and we like to be right. Um, I don't like yielding to a lot of things. I don't like yielding to my alarm clock. I don't like yielding to speed limits. I don't like yielding to my bank account. I don't like yielding to my children's extracurricular activities that are taking up spots on my calendar. And oftentimes I don't like yielding to my husband or my bosses, former bosses, I'm not working currently. Um, and sometimes I don't like submitting to God. I don't like submitting to his plan for my life, to his plan to refine my character, to his plan for my time, to his plan for my children, and the list goes on and on. And I wanted to look at and contrast what submission is, which is a loving yielding, with what the Bible calls being stiff-necked. That's the opposite. Stiff-necked is our natural tendency. Um, it doesn't require us to deny ourselves anything. We don't have to bend at all when we're being stiff-necked. Um, it's the opposite of humility and yielding. It's the opposite of putting someone's needs before your own. And being stiff-necked comes easily to us. Um, think I'm wrong, think of a toddler. Their favorite words are no and mine. Um, think about teenagers, right? They're just grown-up toddlers. Um, their life is about their friends, their weekend plans, their future, their desires, and they're always right. Their parents and teachers and coaches are not, right? But I know I am the same way. I'm often stiff-necked, and I like to think what I want. I like to say what I want. I like to do what I want, and I like to do it on my time. I also like the words no in mine. In this passage, Paul gives broad principles for roles within our family household and how we are to relate to one another and to reflect Christ in our homes. And it, that's going to rub up against our stiff neck. It is going to require us to yield if we are serving and reflecting Christ. Um, so Paul writes in these different groups. He writes about yielding um, in pairs. In marriage, he says wives and husbands, and then he mentions um, in the home, he mentions children and parents, and slaves and masters. And we'll go into later why slaves and masters are included in this home, this household. Um, okay, but so, right, we're stiff-necked, um, and we often do not follow God's call and reflect Christ well. We hurt people. We hurt our spouses. We exasperate our kids. We discourage our coworkers. And if you are a Christian today, you have already learned how to submit um, because you've submitted to the Lord for salvation. You have yielded. You have come and you've seen yourself as a sinner in need of grace. Um, and you've submitted to God's saving power. And, and we do that willingly by God's grace because we know it's for our good and we see our need of him. But we don't always view ourselves as people in need of him. Um, so what do you think about salvation? Here's kind of a little diagnostic tool. One way to know how, um, and this is what really got me as I was sitting here studying it this week, is um, how do you feel when God takes from you? How do you feel when he takes your job, when he takes your money, when he takes someone you love? How do you feel when he takes something you think you deserve? How do we respond to God who takes from us? It's a lot harder when the submission is painful. Um, what if we like the verses about salvation and God's kindness, but we don't like with what it says about how we should spend our time or how we should spend our money or how, um, what maybe what you can and cannot do with your, with your body, um, with your desires? What if we don't want to submit to God in that? What do we do then? Um, I think we can all admit that submission is hard and it is unnatural 
in our human sinful states as in the fallen world that we live in. But for the Christian, there is hope. Um, we are new creations in Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God's grace to us through Jesus really does change everything. Um, God's gracious treatment of us provides the power um, in us because it is changing us and it is changing as we move into these relationships with uh, family members and um, co-workers and um, we can go forth with love and humility and service because we know we were first loved by God. Um, so I just spent a lot of time kind of recapping what it looks like to submit um, and the rest of the passage kind of puts it in these specific categories. And I know that I can't cover everything. We only have so much time. Um, so if you have questions, you can go to Anna or to me later. Um, but the whole reason, if you get nothing else, that Paul is telling us to yield in these relationships is because that is what Christ is like. We serve a submitting and a yielding Savior. Um, and if we are to reflect him, if that is the point of our lives, then we need to look to that yielding Savior. We need to study him, and we need to put on clothes, um, put on his clothes like Anna talked about. We're putting off the old clothes. We're putting on new clothes that look and smell like Jesus. Um, so let's look um, at our Savior, our yielding Savior. Jesus lived a life full of self-denial, and he was always giving of himself. And he lived a life of humility and service to others, and especially um, obedience to his Father. And as we reflect us, the clothes that fit us, the clothes that we are to put on will be similar. It will be a life of humility, a life of yielding and self-giving. And it'll be hard. And in Philippians 2, um, I'm not going to read all the verses, but 5 to, 5 to 11, um, it celebrates that although Jesus was equal with God, right? He's part of the Godhead. He's not, Jesus is not below God. He emptied himself, and he took on the glory of uh, he. He emptied himself of some of his glory to take on the form of a servant. Jesus gave up some of his divine privileges to come to earth. He put on flesh. He was poor. He cried out in a stable. He had earthly parents. Um, but that did not take away his divinity. That did not make him less than when he served us in that way. And he voluntarily took on that role to obey his father. The night before the cross, think about this. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it talks about you know, he was in such agony, knowing what was coming for him on the cross, knowing that he was going to bear God's wrath. It says he was sweating drops of blood. It's always interesting because he, he willingly came, and God sent him, and then he's there going, is there another way? I, I don't want to do this. And he's sweating drops of blood because he knew he was going to face the full wrath of God. And he said, Lord, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But God does not take that cup. And Jesus still submits, knowing everything he's about to face. And that submission on the cross shows us that he trusted God enough and God's goodness. And he gave himself away for our good. Um, and that did not take away from him. It did not diminish Christ. And it wasn't a sign of weakness. It literally saved the world. It was a sign of great, greatness. So Christ, first point, is a yielding Savior. And like Anna said um, in this earlier part of Colossians 3, um, as his followers, we are new creations, and we are to put on clothes that smell like Christ. Jesus continually gives himself to others at great cost to himself. And so we are going to look at some relationships briefly um, and the places that we find ourselves because we want our clothes to smell like Jesus, who is our yielding Savior. 
Okay, so let's see. If you have your Bibles, just I'm going to be referencing 15 and 16. Um, Paul gives a glimpse of how people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they look different. They look different from the world. They look different from those around them. And I want you to remember this whole lesson is talking to the church. And it would have been read at one time, probably, as a letter with a group like this filled with men and women. Um, so these are not marks of just individual people. This is specifically given for what a church should look like, um, a body of believers who are living together in community with one another. So if you're reading this, put on the lens of Paul is assuming that you were a member of a church somewhere, that you were involved in a community. Um, he's writing to a church, and, and being a part of a church is important. Um, the church is where you can keep giving of yourself because it's not about you. It's about the better of the whole body. Um, it's a place where we are to come together and we're filled with gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. And we are in this position of gratitude because we know that we don't deserve it, right? We don't deserve our salvation. We deserve God's wrath and condemnation. But Christ has given us everything. And so when we have that when we lens, gratitude and stiff neck, they don't go together. One is going to push the other one out. Um, our gratitude and putting others' needs before our, um, our own, whether brothers or sisters in Christ, that will sorry, push down and kill all of your stiff necks tendencies one at a time. And it's something that we're going to have to do over and over and over again. Remember what we have been brought out of, who we are, and, it, and it's going to help us to submit willingly to Christ. Um, so community in the church is vital for, for your spiritual growth. Um, we are to yield to God individually, but also together in the body. And we are to serve each other with our gifts. Each one of you has different gifts and abilities that, that God has specifically given you and that you can bring to the church. Um, Paul says the church is to be full of people who are, have grateful hearts, who are one body, um, who have peace that rules. Uh, I wish I could spend a whole lot of time there, and I, I can't on what it looks like for peace to rule. Um, the church is to be people who are filled with God's word, who take it seriously, who teach it, and who sing praises with God. You're so overwhelmed with what God has done with you. It is the, the melody of your heart that that is coming out of you. Um, and this is what it looks like to be in the church. And it sounds a lot like a worship service. It sounds a lot like a Bible study. Um, and I want you to think, am I showing up to church? Am I showing up and coming to women's Bible study saying, I'm here to give myself to God and to other people? Or are you coming and saying, I'm here and I'm showing up and is it going to be good? <laughs> what, what am I going to get out of this? Is it going to be long? Can we go? Are the snacks good? <laughs> it's like half the reason I love the morning. Y'all snacks are so much better than the night. <laughs> I love the morning. Y'all have more time and you cook. We like dump pretzels out of a bag. Um, but the church is where we get to come together and be united in love and gratitude and yield because our Savior has yielded and we get to worship him. In verse 17, Paul says, In everything that you do, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Everything we do is ultimately an act of servants, service and obedience to the Lord. A friend of uh, our family's, Ricky Jones, he's a pastor in Oklahoma now. He saw a woman as he was preaching, and she came back. She was in the pew for two services. And he has a funny sense of humor, and he said, Oh, you're back. Was it so good? Was the sermon so good that you just had to stay for the second time? 
She said, no, as I was leaving, I met a lady who was going out. And when I was going out, she was coming in. And I, we didn't know each other, and I just struck up a conversation. And she told me that she was recently divorced. And she said, I, I have been divorced. And I remember coming to church and thinking, I'm all by myself. And I just want someone to sit here. So she lovingly submitted, and she sat through again. And she probably didn't tell that lady that she had, she was not going to her car to get her sunglasses. <laughs> she was leaving. Um, and I love that image. Um, she also came saying, I know that this church, I've heard that this church is not going to be judgmental because I've gotten a divorce. Um, that is what it looks like to mirror Jesus, to reflect him. Um, she just wanted someone to sit with her. And so Paul turns his attention to a common but difficult relationship that is marriage. And I know not all of you may be married here today. Um, and we are going to read, uh, let's start in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. Uh, I'll go to that one later. Actually, let's stop right there. Two verses. I probably spent 20 hours reading for two verses. I'm not kidding. I thought, I don't want to talk about this. It has been so bungled, even in the church, that it felt like I wanted a 10-foot pole to maybe touch it. Um, but we're going to do it because it's in here. Um, our marriage relationships also are to reflect this new, new purpose, right? We are new creations. We are called to honor and to glorify God wherever he has us. And so if that is marriage, um, our marriages are not for us only. They're not for our self-advancement. They're not for just... What can I give? What would make my life easier? What would make my life better? Um, okay, so I don't really remember a lot about history, but in the first century, the ancient household looked different than it does today. And it was often um, made up of wives, children, husbands, and even slaves and masters. Um, and they would have all maybe even lived in the same house or at least on the same property. And so that is why we're going to talk about slaves and masters maybe if we have time. But um, that's why they're mentioned in the household, because at that time, which was not right, they would have all maybe lived together. And so in this ancient Greek and Roman world, um, I didn't know this, there were household codes that, that were kind of like their declaration of independence. It was like, this is what we're going to look like. This is what we're going to live like. And I read a few of them, um, promoting how households should be run, especially one by Aristotle. And it did not take long to say, we have come, we have come far. They were very male-centric, and they really, I mean, it was, you know, you're looking going, how did they believe this? But it wasn't until really recently that some of that stuff started to change. And in some parts of the world, that is still not the case, that women are valued, that children are valued, that workers are valued. Um, they truly believed that men were superior creatures, and it was their God-given right to reign kind of without question in their house and on their property and in their businesses. Um, and we know that's not true, right? God did not create, he created genders, he created male and female, but he said they were both created, both genders in the image of God. And so there is not a lesser gender, there's not a lesser role, they're just different. But they both, ref we both can reflect God and who he is. Um, there is no superior gender. So in these verses, what Paul is doing, and the readers, the original hearers of this would have realized, okay, Paul is giving us a new household code. Even the language I pulled up was very similar 
to, to the language of their old household codes. And so it's very, this would have been totally reorient, reorienting. Where, wait, women matter? Wait, children matter? I can't just not pay my workers and just treat them out, you know, feed them scraps. Um, this was very countercultural to a place where things, people were not treated um, equally. So Paul is not coming in and he's not condoning slavery. Um, he's just speaking to a situation that it already was there. So he's saying in these relationships, in your house and in your work, this is how you should treat people. Um, because with Jesus, Jesus changes everything, even the social order around us. Um, in the household of God, we serve one another, not because um, one person is superior, but because we respect each other, because we love each other, and we do it all out of reverence for Christ. Um, in Galatians 3.28, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with him. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, so Jesus is at the center of the household, not man, not woman, not children, not slaves, not masters. Jesus is the head. Uh, and this was radical. He's bringing a new community um, out, of, out of what was already there. He's telling them all are mutual, um, all, all are free. No one is slave in this, in this new family of God. Um, we submit mutually out of love and respect. Um, and so it's the, this lens that we can kind of focus towards the different roles of wives and husbands, remembering that God's good design um, is, is for your benefit in marriage. Um, in Genesis, God said it was not good for man to be alone. Remember, and he gives um, him Eve. He actually makes her from him, and he calls her a helper. And um, it's not like, oh, she's just a little helper. You know, it said it was not good for him to be alone. That, that helping role is not less than. It is, it is very important, or she would not have been created we would not have been created. There is no lesser role in marriage. We both, men and women, reflect what Jesus is like. Um, and like I said earlier, submission is so difficult to talk about because even in the church, it's been taught incorrectly. It's been abused. Um, and so a lot of people throw this out. But it's not irrelevant and it's not outdated because God's word is true and it stands forever. Um, and so we have to look at it. And if you're not married, or if you have been, and now you're not, maybe you're divorced or a widow, um, or maybe as we talk about the parts about children, it may not reflect exactly where you are now. And um, I don't want you to feel less than. I don't want you to feel, out, feel like you're missing out on the fullness that God offers in, in, in your life, because you're not. Um, and I want to apologize. As a culture, we have put our hopes and our dreams in this family. And in the church, we've even said the Christian family. Right? It's, it's the best. And we've elevated it to a place that God never intended it to be. Um, we've made an idol out of families. We've made an idol out of our children. Um, and that's hard. But when we talk about wives submitting to husbands, it says, do it as it is fitting to the Lord. And I think that really changes everything in how we look at it. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear submission, I think, okay, well, he's just going to make all the decisions, and I'm just going to have to follow him. And that is not what it's talking about. It is not talking about just decision-making, that your husband's the tiebreaker. Um, submission actually has little to do with, with decision-making. Um, it doesn't even mean you always have to agree with your husband if you're married. 
it certainly doesn't mean that you become a doormat. Um, and it definitely doesn't mean that you follow your husband at all costs into sin. We're to do it unto the Lord. Um, because Jesus is our Lord, not our husband. And so these passages can never be used to justify any kind of abuse, emotional, spiritual, physical. And if you have found yourself in that place, um, there, there is great grace and support for you in our church. And so please come talk to us. Um, this passage also talks about um, kind of what we talked about earlier, that there is no greater gender. We both have value and dignity before the Lord. Um, I'm trying to skip because I know I'm going long. Let's see. So let's look at the Trinity. We've got three persons in the Trinity, all equal in power and glory. And yet there is a hierarchy. God is the Father and Jesus is the Son and God submits to his Father. Um, and, And so there is a picture that we can follow of why we do this. And it doesn't diminish us. And it also, God the Father does not, he's not exacting, he's not demanding of Christ. It says Christ obeyed and Christ, he, he submitted, he chose. God was not saying you have to do this. You, you, you know, he was not an angry God forcing Jesus to do this. Jesus willingly da- laid down his life for you. Um, he did that all of his own accord to get you, to get you into the family of God. Um, and so if we look at Jesus and if we look at the Trinity, we see that there is a place for submission in our lives. And it can coexist in marriage and we can be joint partners who both reflect Christ to each other. Um, so submitting your husband, what does that really look like? What does that mean? If it's not just about, okay, he wants to do this, so we'll just do that. Um, it means that you steward your gifts for the better of your family. Um, whatever those are, so that your family thrives, so that your husband thrives. You are really that servant helper, like it says that Eve was created to be. Um, So contrary to what the world says, the role of the wife in marriage, it really does imply strength. You're You're not weaker as a vessel, and you're not weak when you serve, because Jesus wasn't weak when he served. Um, this is a beautiful story that happened during the pandemic. A lady named Mary Daniels, she took a job at a dishwasher at a memory care center um, so that she could be with her husband, Steve, who was a patient there who was uh, 59 and he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. She took um, a $9 an hour job because she had spent 114 days away from her husband. With the rules with the masks and the restrictions, she couldn't see him, she couldn't be with him. And so she took a job at, at the center washing dishes because she had vowed for better or for worse in sickness and in health to love and cherish her husband until death parted them. And, and she said she loved being with him because she could hold his hand, she could watch TV with him, she could get ready with him, um, get him ready for bed, the things that she used to do when he was, when he was home before lockdown. And well, why does that story warm our hearts? Um, because the center didn't need another dishwasher, right? And she didn't take the job to get $9 an hour. She willingly gave up of her time so that she could be with her husband to serve him because she knows that he needed her and she loved him and she willingly took that job and washed gross dishes to be with him. And that is an example of yielding sacrifice. So quickly, we're going to just briefly look at husbands. We don't have a lot of husbands here today. Um, but if you're in a marriage um, or you're, if, 
if you're just with people, you're around people who are called um, to love their wives. And that is what husbands are called to do. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, the ser- as the wife is called the servant helper, the husband is called the servant leader. And they are a great match together. Um, you've got servant helpers, you've got servant leaders. And so the key word there is servants. They're both mutually serving each other. And the word here, when it says husbands love your wives, that love is not talking about a romantic love. It's talking about that agape love um, that's talking about loving service and care. And so it's all promoting the well-being of your wife. Um, and it's very similar to what, to what wives are called to do. Um, it's that, that love and service that keeps coming back over and over again, that yielding submission. Um, in Mark 10, Jesus said, He came not to serve, but he, sorry, he did come to serve. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 13, Jesus says, um, or we see Jesus taking on the role of a servant by washing the disciples' feet. Um, And that is what it looks like to be a servant, to, to, to have this place of leadership, yet to be willing to take the position of the lower, the lower one in the relationship. Um, to serve at all costs for the benefit of those in your home. Um, so to love your wife as Christ loves the church, for a husband to do that, it means that he will die to anything um, that hinders him loving his wife and benefiting what's for her best interest. Um, when this yielding and serving happens, it can be a beautiful thing. And, and when it's not, it throws everything off. It can make marriage really difficult. Um, Okay, so let's go quickly to, uh, to children and parents. I'll read uh, verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, I have a funny story about my son. He's nine. Um, we don't like authority, apparently, in our house. We want to be our own masters. And Brian reminded me of the story that when Clark was little, and I barely even remember this, Brian writes stuff down, which is is a good thing to do. Um, When Clark was little, he had a new pair of pajamas, and he saw them, and he wanted to wear them. The problem was, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, and we were getting ready for our day. I can't remember if he was going to school, or we were running errands. And now, looking back, I'd be like, sure, just wear the pajamas. You know? But I was like, no, buddy, you got to wear your clothes. We're going to put on your clothes and your tennis shoes, and we're going to go. And he looked at me, and he said, no, if you don't let me put my pajamas on, then you're not my mom anymore because I'm in charge of myself, <laughs> right? Parenting is hard because we are dealing with little versions of ourselves, little sinners. <laughs> and I read something that struck me. It said, relationships are not efficient. And y'all, we just want efficiency. We want people to do what we need them to do. And relationships, not just parenting, but I think it's acutely seen in parenting. It's not efficient. It is so slow. It is so hard to train and to, to shepherd and to say the same thing over and over again. It is a slow, exhausting, repetitive, thankless, and relentless effort at times, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but it's not just a job. It's a relationship. We are to get to know our children, to connect with them, to um, not just roll out a bunch of roles and hand out a bunch of discipline. Um, and it's easy to do that as parents. It's easy to get to that place where we are just wearing the parent hat and we are overbearing and we're overprotective and all the things that we want to do to better our children. 
But if we follow that yielding Savior that we do, we need to look at how did Jesus steward his power. Because I want you to see that as a parent, even if your children are grown, you have a tremendous amount of power in their lives because of that role. And so how, how are you going to use it? Paul warns parents not to exasperate their children, so it must be easy to do. I know I have gotten myself <laughs> into that position before. Um, so when we look at our, when we, do you say what's exasperate? No. Oh. <laughs> Uh, we are to yield and use our power for good to serve and to bless our kids. And on our best days, that is what we want to do and what we try to do. But it takes such patience and gentleness and self-control and forgiveness and all those fruits of the Spirit that is that putting off and putting on the new clothes that look like Jesus. And it's hard because kids push our buttons, right? I can say it to them, yes, that's the kind of parent I want to be. It's the kind of parent I want my children to be one day if you're watching your kids parent their kids. But right, we don't parent in a vacuum. We don't parent without all of the stresses that life brings. Um, and children are called to listen and obey, and they don't do that well, right? I know I didn't, and I know I don't do that well as a child of God. Um, but they are little sinners too. And when they fail, and they do, what do we do? Do we rub it in and say, oh my gosh, how did you do that again? You may feel it, but do you say it? Do you wear them out with your criticism? Do you exasperate them? Because that is not valuing and loving and shepherding. That is not treating them as they deserve, um, as the little image bearers of Christ that they are. Um, and that happens now because you're, you know, you're focused on just getting this right behavior from them. Are you really forming good habits, things that children should learn to do? But if I'm just looking at, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say this, and if they don't do this, we're going to wear our kids out. Um, we're going to crush them. We're going to make them feel worthless with our tone, with our size, with our looks. We make them feel ashamed of who they are for being sinners. Um, and that is not how God handles us. That is not how he loves us. He is not sitting there with arms crossed going, again, don't even try to come to me because I'm so angry I don't want to see you right now. That is, not, that is not how we are to make our children feel because that is not how God feels about us when we aren't performing up to his standards. Um, are we trying to use our power as a parent to get something for us? I looked at this and it made me realize, yes, sometimes I do. I want to raise good children. I want them to be successful and obedient. Um, and when they're doing that well, I can idolize them. And when they're doing that not, when they're not doing that well, I can despair. Um, and sometimes it's hard to discipline kids, right? They're so cute, those little three-year-olds. Sometimes they're so cute. You're like, oh, you kind of talked back to me, but I'm just going to let that one go. You know, or it's like the 20th time that they did something. You're like, well, this one's about to jump off the fence, so you get to be sassy right now, or whatever it is. <laughs> it is so hard to be a parent. But I want you to think, and if, if your kids are grown or if you don't have kids, um, this may be harder to apply, but... Do your kids feel like they can come to you when they've messed up, when they've blown it, or do they feel like they're afraid of you? Do they feel like they have a sense of, I'm carrying the weight of my parents' happiness and their emotional well-being? Do they fear that you might be overly disappointed in them? Are they afraid to share their failures? Because that is not, how, that is not the God that we serve. 
that does not sound like our father. Our father is gentle and kind and patient, and he is a good shepherd. And he leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one who is lost. So I have good news, because you might be in desperation. Jesus died for all of your parenting failures so that you are free to own them. You can repent to the Father and you can go to your children and you can ask for forgiveness. And even adult children, you can go to them in humility and say, I'm sorry for the ways that I have provoked you, discouraged you, to make you feel less than who God made you to be. I love you and I'm sorry and please forgive me. Um, and you might think, okay, I can't say that. That, not because of any pride, which there is, is pride, but you might think, okay, I'm the parent. And if I do that, they're going to think, I've won. Mom's admitted it. She doesn't know what she's doing. She messed up. <laughs> but that's not true. I, I don't know if you have relationships where people have come and said that they are sorry for what the ways that they have wounded you. But does the opposite is so connecting and so endearing. Um, and, it, and it brings connection in, in a family where we all should be repenting to one another in the church, in our families, with our children, with our husbands. Um, because it, it will actually endear them and grow their love for you. I'm 40 years old and I can still remember specific instances when my parents said they were sorry. I, I can remember like where we were on a highway driving. One time I can remember sitting in my driveway. I, mean, I, I just remember things and it stuck with me 30 some years later. Um, it's powerful, forgiveness is powerful because it's mirroring um, the attributes of God. Um, it's humility, it's this yielding. Um, so your kids don't need you to be perfect parents. They need you to be real people with them. And John Cox said, the only thing better than a perfect parent is a humble one, a parent who can swing back into their kids and ask for forgiveness. If we yield our pride, to our pride and we ask forgiveness from our children, then if we're full of this kind of love and humility, it will get, get, um, gain deep connection for us in our relationships with them. And they long for that. That's what, they're, that's what they're wanting every day, and they can't say it. They want to feel connected and safe and to know that you love them. Um, and so God uses parenting for our children, but as, as parents, we know it, it also is for us, right? It's so hard, but it's not without reward. It is sanctifying. It changes us. It does something. It's formative to us. As we lay down our desires for our kids, um, it changes us because it puts us in that posture of humility, and that makes us um, more like Jesus. Okay, so briefly, let me see what time it is, maybe. Annie, should I stop? It's 10, 12. Keep going. A few more minutes, okay. Um, we'll briefly look at yielding and work. Okay, um, let's look at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And four one, masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So this is another hot topic. I had submission and slavery, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not coming today. Um, but but the more I studied it, the more it made sense. Um, and Paul is never calling slavery good. It was a human institution that he was stepping into that was not created by God. It was created by man. Um, and so him talking about it is not him saying it's okay. 
it is not ideal for people to be enslaved in any kind of human relationship, whether it's truly a, a slave or just you feel like you're a slave to someone. Um, but Paul is coming to this society where they already are living. It said there were 60 million slaves in the ancient Roman culture. Um, he is coming to something that is already there and saying, okay, since you have this, this is how you're going to treat people. Um, he wants Christians to treat their, their, their slaves well, their servants. Some of them were willing, um, some of them were maybe taken in war as slaves. Some of them gave themselves um, as like an indentured service. I'll work for this amount of time and get out of debt and then I will be free. There were just all kinds of ways that people came into this role. Um, and so Jesus, uh, so Paul has to speak to it because in this Colossian church, there are masters sitting there and there are slaves. So it would have been ignoring a huge population of this church had he not talked about it. Um, he's enforcing that slaves are not your property. They are created in God's image. They are fellow members of Jesus's body who are to be honored and to be embraced and to be loved. And this would have been radical. Remember, men were superior. Everybody else wasn't. And so... This would have, I mean, I, people were talking about it, I can tell you that, um, because they were sinful and they liked their power. And Paul ha also talks about masters, to be good, good masters, and he talks about slaves being ones who work. Um, it talks about, you know, basically when your master is away, still being, a, you know, kind of knowing that God is watching, um, not just to look good, but to do to do it because you're really serving God. You're not truly serving your earthly master. And every scholar nearly that I found said these principles don't just apply to the ancient world. It, it can apply to you today if you're if you're an employer or if you're an employee somewhere, that these principles of, you know, if the boss isn't watching, maybe you don't have to be working so hard, that is still something that we can apply today. Um, because all of our work is to be done ultimately not for our boss, not for our master, but to be done unto the Lord. We're to do everything unto him. Um, and the Bible teaches that all work is good. Martin Luther has a famous quote saying, The humblest serving maid sweeping for the glory of God is just as honoring to God, just as infused with dignity as the greatest preacher in the world. The Bible teaches us that all good work has beauty and dignity. So whatever you do, wherever you are called in life today, do it for the Lord. Don't do it for people-pleasing. Don't do it so that people will like you. Um, you can honor Christ in your work wherever he has you. If he has you grocery shopping, if he has you sweeping, you may be a doctor delivering babies. I don't know what your role is, but there is no smaller role. They are all important in God's family. And if you are not rightly compensated now, it says that there is a rich inheritance from the Lord. Um, okay, in conclusion, let's wrap this up. Um, remember that God's grace to us through Jesus truly changes everything. How we relate to one another in the church, how we relate to one, other, one another in the home, and how we relate to one another in work. It changes all of our relationships. And you have given, you're given great power by God. He has not randomly placed you where you are today, in your neighborhood, in your families. We are to use our power to bless one another. And, and how do we do that? We remember we have been graciously treated by God. Um, it provides the power for us to move into those hard relationships with love, with self-denial, with humility, so we can serve and we can also ask for forgiveness. Um, we love because he first loved us. I'm gonna end with one short story that you may have heard, Brian uses this a lot. 
There's a man named Robertson McQuilkin, and he was um, the president of a Bible college. And in this about 30 years ago, his wife got early onset Alzheimer's. And so he was trying to decide, can I still work? She really needs me. Should I bring in caregiver? Should I put her somewhere? And he shared this at the time that he decided to resign. He said, the board had arranged for a companion to stay in our home so that I could go daily to the office. During these two years with the companion, it became increasingly difficult for me to keep Muriel in our home. As soon as I would leave, she would run out after me. With me, she was content, but without me, she was distressed. Sometimes she was terror-stricken. The walk I took to school was a mile round trip, and she would make that trip sometimes as many, as many as 10 times a day. Sometimes at night, when I would help her undress, I found her feet bloody. When I told our family doctor, he choked up and said, such love. Then after a moment, he said, I have a theory that the characteristics developed across years come out in times like this. I wish I loved God like she loves you. I wish I was desperate to be near him at all times. And he said, this, sorry, this is the husband speaking. This Muriel teaches me day by day. And this is a beautiful picture of marriage, and we could stop there. We could stop with this wife who wants to be with her husband and is safe with him, and this husband who is loving and tending and isn't quitting her, his prestigious job to take care of her. But there's a better picture. Let's think of the picture um, a little differently, a, a truer picture of us. Let's think of it between us and Jesus. We are the runners. We are the ones with the bloody feet, and we are hell-bent to run. But we often are not running to Jesus. We are running away. We are running away from submission because we want to go our own way, and yet he comes after us. He doesn't just get bloody feet chasing us. He doesn't just wipe our feet. He sweats drops of blood. He's pierced for our transgressions. And he does that as an act of obedience to his Father, a yielding, loving submission. And why does he do that? Why does he go cause pain on himself? He does it to get you and to get me and to bring us into this household of God. So may we learn to serve him and others. Let's pray. Father God, this was a heavy week. These are heavy passages to look at. Um, this was a lot to, to, to take in. Lord, I pray that you would use small groups as a time for us to really flesh out what this looks like. But I pray that if the women um, walk away with one thing, Lord, that you would impress on their hearts that you were good and that you were a loving God and you sent your son who yielded and obeyed at great cost to himself to bring us into his family. I pray that we would mirror that, that we would put on clothes that smell like Jesus and that we would learn um, that it is, is not a, a place um, of weakness, Lord, but to serve is a place of greatness because you have served and you have given it great dignity and it changes the world. In your name we pray, amen.